0: Welcome to another audio podcast from Pastor Ralph Wintersmith at I want to talk to you for a little while. I've entitled it, Teachings from Deuteronomy. That sounds very grand, doesn't it? Teachings from Deuteronomy. Well, it is grand. This is the Word of God. Deuteronomy, most of us would probably know. It was um, approaching the time when Moses was going to go to be with the Lord. And he's giving, he's kind of, it's a repeat performance, really. It's like if you, if you um, had a book, I don't know, let's say, uh, The Delights of Applied Mathematics. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you bought that book and you really loved that book, and one day you lost it. Sounds good, Colin says, yeah. And you lost that book, and you went to Amazon or somewhere, you wanted a copy of that book, and all you could find is it's out of print out of print and then suddenly you heard the news on the great vine there was going to be a second edition so you could buy that book again what was happening here was a second edition god wasn't amending what he previously said there are some additions to what he had said previously but this is the second rendition really of the law and really that was quite appropriate because if you remember Uh, many of them fell in the wilderness. The adults fell in the wilderness. They died because they said, you know, you might as well well have left us in Egypt. We're going to die in the wilderness. And God said, well, you've said it, that's going to happen. And so it was appropriate at this significant stage in in the history of Israel that the law would be restated, re-given. And I want us to pick up on some teachings from here and pick up some points as we go through. So you need to look. We're going to look at chapter 1. Uh, 6, 7 and 8, just very briefly, a few pieces from it. This, this giving of the law again, verse 3 of chapter 1, is in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month, so we know it's near the end of the wilderness wanderings. So it's a very, very significant moment. And um, verse 18 of, of chapter 1, he says that, the first time around I told you everything you were to do, and we know they failed but he was reminding them he told them i told you verse 19 as the lord our god commanded we sent out from horeb we set out from horeb etc etc and it goes on it sent some spies out to look at the land and uh, it was a land that god had given verse 26 they were unwilling nevertheless to go up so they saw the land the spies had a good look around everything was just as god had said fabulous place But the people, the majority of the people, are unwilling to go up. And he says in verse 26, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. So he sets the scene and he reminds them. So what what are his instructions? Well, we can't do the whole of Deuteronomy tonight, but I'm going to pick out a few things and finish on something which is very very encouraging to me and I trust all of us. So we're going to move to chapter 6. He's getting them ready to go into the land. He's going to die. He's going to appoint Joshua before he dies. And he's telling them the rules, giving them the rules again. And he starts off in chapter 6. So we'll call this stage 1. I'm not sure chronologically it's right, but we will say it is stage 1. Love God and obey him. That's what this chapter is about. And verse 3 says, Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So, O Israel, be careful to obey, so it may go well with you. That's where I'm going to start. We don't get right with God through being obedient. You know that, don't you? We're justified by faith, yes? Yes. We're made right with God by believing in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, you're made right with God through faith in Jesus. By grace are we saved through faith. And we go on staying right with God through faith. Whatever you do in life, you might muck it up terribly, but as long as you've got your faith in Jesus, even if you muck it up, if you're believing that Jesus died for you and his blood will make you clean and has cleansed you, you're going to get to heaven. We know that. But he told them, be careful to obey God so that it may go well with you. And I want to tell you this, although we don't get right with God through doing good things or obeying God, other than the obedience, which is the obedience of believing in Jesus, when he says repent and believe, that's obedience. It goes well with us when we obey God and follow God. Is that right? It is right. It is right. If you you will obey God, it will go well with you. This book is absolutely full of promises. If you study this book, you'll see them. Meditate in this book day and night, you will prosper and succeed. This word is health to your bones and so on and so forth. Do what God says, put the word into action and you will prosper. That's what this book says and this book is absolutely right. If you obey God and you're careful to obey God, it will go well with you. Does that mean if you slip up once, you've lost all that good that's been accumulated? No. But what it is saying is, let your life be the life that God wants it to be. You're living for Jesus. Jesus is in you. Walk as you're called to walk, that it may go well with you. One of the um, Ten Commandments, honour your father and mother, it's the first commandment with promise. Do you remember? It's quoted, Paul quotes it. In Ephesians, and he doesn't say now it's the New Testament days, don't listen to the Old Testament commands. He says, this is a command with promise. It still applies. It will go well with you if you do what God says. And one of the reasons that I obey God is because I want my life, I want it to go well. God told me he would bless me and I don't want to lose that. I want to stay walking with God. I want to stay in a place where God can just continue to bless my life. Personally, God... Blesses my life. One of my screensavers—not you know my screensaver, my main computer is. It revolves around in 3D at different different angles. It says, "I will bless you." Every time the screensaver comes on, I'm reminded God will bless me, and He does. And I want to walk right with God, not to earn His favor, not to get right with Him, but I want my life—I want it to go well. I don't want anything to get in the way. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Last week, Colin preached about getting rid of your idols. Do you remember? Essentially, an idol is something that gets in the way of you and God. However you define it, if it gets between you and God, something in the way uh, that you've put there, that you will give priority to, it's an idol. And this book says, love God first. And I want to love God first. Do I always do that? I hope so. Maybe sometimes sometimes I don't always put it first. I think I do. I certainly want to. That's my aspiration. And that's one of my life's objectives, to love God. I want to love God anyway because he's done so much for me. And in fact, Um, my relationship with God and our relationship with God should be not... Well, I better love God because God has said, but just you love God. You you do love God, don't you? Yeah, we do. And so we are doing what it says and we want it to stay like that, not just so that it will go well with us, but we want to be those who do what God says. Verse 6 These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Verse 7 Impress them on your children. We teach our children. It's a really tremendous privilege to be brought up in a Christian home, to have a mum and dad telling you about God and the things of God. That's a great, great privilege. And for mums and dads to sit, we used to sit with the children around the meal table quite often with a verse of scripture or something, just telling them simply. We were, just during the day, uh, Terry had the joy of leading both our girls to the Lord. At some point, you know, they became aware and they wanted to pray and they prayed the prayer and, I know Amelia's done it, I know Joanna's done it, giving their lives to Jesus. I know Emily did it a few weeks back. We were out on the deck at their house and um, we were just talking about things in general. And I learned from Amelia that Emily had done something very impressive last night. And I said, what was that? And she was encouraged to tell me. And she told me, absolutely as clear as clear. She understood That she'd done wrong and she understood she'd asked God to forgive her and Jesus to come in. And she understood as clear, as clear. So I think it was the day before her fourth birthday, wasn't it? That's a great pre-birthday present, isn't it? So we impress these things on our children. Why? Because we want it to go well with them. We want it to go well with them. I want the blessing of God for my children now. Of course I do. And so I'm not sure of pointing out things, because <laughs> I'm more gentle now than I used to be. But uh, they wouldn't stand for that, of course, now. They wouldn't need that now. But uh, I, want it, I just want it to go well with them. So I want them... To know the word and to follow God. And that's what we do. we do. Verses 8 and 9. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And on your gates. Verse 7. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road. When you lie down. When you get up. Signs. Christians do that. We do that. And that's what God was telling these people to do. So we don't say right now, today. Notebook out. What I must do? Oh, I must talk about the Lord today. You can't help yourself, can you? Is that right? God is just good. You can't help telling people what you read, what you've discovered, what God's done. You just do that. And we we see there they were supposed to display them, I have to have reminders all around the place. When I was a lad, a little boy, my mother's mother lived in the East End of London. And she had scriptures on the walls and they were cutouts with crinkled silver papers. Anybody ever seen them? Really old fashioned things. Go, whatever room you went into, there was scripture. Everywhere you turned. My father's mother had a, a promise box. Have you ever seen one of them? Little drawer with scriptures in, you know. Uh, I never knew what they were really. I just used to pull them out and think, Mm, that's interesting. But you know, you can just imagine. Pull it out, dip it in promise of the day shall I open it. It's a bit like a fortune cookie. We don't want that stuff. We don't want that stuff. We want this regular imbibing of the word of God. So chapter 6. Do these things so that it will go well with you. And when it's going well with you, verse 10. When you go into the land, <coughs> he swore to your fathers. That's in verse 10. Moving on. Yeah a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Sometimes Christians, things get so good in their lives, they're just going along fine and dandy. And they do, they forget. They forget the basics and it starts to not go well. It starts to go unwell. It starts to get a bit ill in their lives. And God says, I, he said to them, I'm going to bless you so much, it would be really easy for you to get so chilled that you'll forget me. That's what he was saying to them. Don't, don't, don't leave God out of it. Especially when you're blessed. Make sure you keep God in the equation. So stage was love God. Stage two here is remember God when it goes well. Then moving on to chapter seven, I'm going to scurry through here. Show stage three, when you arrive. This is quite a horrendous uh, few (laughs) verses, but really, really important for us, and I'm going to apply them spiritually. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations... The Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you've defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. That's, that's tough stuff, isn't it? No mercy. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Show them no mercy. You must destroy them totally. You'll find elsewhere in the the Old Testament that God drove out these nations before His people, and one of the reasons He did what did that was because what these nations were up to was so abominable; it was such awful stuff. He had to judge them. And although a, 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 a casual reading of this might make you think God's unkind, actually God is sovereign, and we learn when He's handled pharaoh we learn from romans his handling of pharaoh was he put up with so much that his power god's power and glory might be displayed he put up with so much so much sin was endured and these nations did so many bad things the time came when god would destroy them and you might think that sounds terrible but remember sodom and gomorrah that was terrible too but they deserved it they reached a point where judgment had to come one of the fears for our nation is that if God doesn't bring revival, the judgment on our land will we'll, we'll get worse because we're doing, we're doing terrible things in this land. Terrible, terrible things. I won't depress you with statistics, but terrible things are going on in our land. <clears throat> and sooner or later, God will judge. He will have to judge because of his righteousness. And so God told them, Destroy them, make no treaty with them. Show no mercy. You know, just to bring it up to date, that's how we are supposed to deal with sin. That's how we're supposed to deal with the wrong things that are out there. We're to show them no mercy. <clears throat> we're, to, we're to have nothing to do with them. absolutely nothing to do with them. Not even to give them a corner on the shelf, or wherever it might be. Nothing to do with them. Do not intermarry... With them, do not give your daughters to their sons, and so on. Don't do it. No mercy. It seems awful, but there's a reason. Verse 4, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Brackets, or maybe headline, and it will not go well with you. And this stuff is about making sure the relationship with God's intact. And that the blessing of God can flow. Now, we're not just in it for the blessing, but I, I'm I looking for blessing. Not just in it to get to heaven, but for sure I'm, I'm going to heaven and it's very important. I want to be close to God and commune with him. That's really, really important, but these other things are not unimportant. The blessing of God, the uh, material well-being that he brings, the physical good health that he gives, the... Hope for the future, which is embedded in us. The the stability of mind which he allows us and enables us to have. This stuff's important. And he says, get rid of them, destroy them, make no treaty with them, show them no mercy. Get rid, destroy the sins, destroy the sinful things. Make no treaty with them, don't give them any room in your house. Show no mercy to any of that stuff. Because if you do, verse 4, they'll turn you away from following me. And we might say, well, you know, that won't happen to me. That won't happen to me. But every single one of us here, if you've known Jesus for any length of time, you would be able to tell me about someone you know who used to run well, but allowed stuff in their lives and it's turned them away from God. And you would be able to tell me, if I asked for a catalogue, you would say, here's the catalogue of how it stopped going well with them. My own family, I could tell you the catalogue of stuff that's damaged my sister and my brother. I could tell you, it would break your heart. And you'd be able to tell me. And this isn't, this isn't, uh, you know... I was talking to somebody the other day, and their difficulty was this idea of having to give stuff up. And and I was—I believe, I trust, by God's grace, able to explain how actually we receive so much more than we ever give up. I do trust that that got through to that person. But, you know, God says, "Just, just don't give it any room. More than once, I tell you this, more than once I've bought a DVD to watch, Look at the back, it looks harmless. You know, it's gone straight in the bin. Because I won't give it room. As soon as I saw the stuff, that's it, it's in the bin. You can't afford to give it room. Seems awful, but there's a reason. It'll turn you away. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, famous verse, you know, about bad company, what it does. Corrupts good manners. We need to be careful. Verse 5 of chapter 7, this is what you must do. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones...